spirit that we come to worship him this morning. Let's turn now to our scripture reading that God may teach us. Our text this morning comes from 1 John chapter 2. First John 2, the verses 7 through 11. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that, ha- that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the, in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So far, the word of God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's also ask God for wisdom as we search his word. And let's do that by singing from Psalm 119, stanza 20. As mentioned, the text are those very verses that we have read, 1 John 2, verses 7 through 11, and you'll be helped by having your Bibles open. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, this table that we're about to go to is a picture of everything that is most valuable to us as Christians, everything that gives us our greatest joy in the Christian life, everything that we love the most. If you want to know what Christians love, what gives a Christian joy, you can see it pictured here at this table. What we're about to celebrate here are the two most precious things in the life of the Christian. The first is our fellowship with Christ. That's what this table is ultimately all about. This is His table, Christ is the host at this table, not me, not the elders. Christ is the host. This is his table. And when we come to take the bread and and the wine as, as pictures of his sacrifice for us, we're celebrating our fellowship with him. Nothing, nothing at all is more valuable to a Christian than our fellowship with Christ. The second thing is our fellowship with one another. Only Christians can understand the love that Christians have for one another. You think of what David says in in Psalm 16, verse 3. He says, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And that's what you find already in the first moments of the Christian church. Right after Peter preached his sermon and 3,000 were baptized and, and believed, And the very first thing they did, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. So that's the very first thing that Christians do. They they immediately gravitate towards one another. When you know what Christ has done for you, represented also in this table, and when you know how undeserving you are, how good 
Christ has been to you, then when you see Christ extend that same grace to others, you immediately love them with all your heart. We instinctively come together as unworthy sinners forgiven by the same blood. And so this table reminds us it's a joy, it's a delight to be with other Christians who know themselves to be just as unworthy as you know yourself and I know myself to be. To be with other Christians who've who've received that same immeasurable grace that each of us have also received. And that's why this table then is, is such a delight for us. We come to celebrate the two things that we love the most in heaven and on earth, our fellowship with Christ and our fellowship with one another. And, and so when you come, a moment later, when you come to this table, don't forget to rejoice in those two things and to thank God for them. We should understand also, it's in the context of love then, that John writes the words of our text. His very first word in the text is, my beloved. So he's writing to people that, that he loves, and, and he loved them very deeply. They're, they're fellow Christians, forgiven sinners, just like himself. And the whole point of this text, then, that's before us, is to remind them, these people that he loved, to never forget to live like Christians, which is to say to live like Christ. Our, our text follows, of course, right after verse 6, so we're in verse 7, but verse 6 says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So, so when he says, I'm, I'm not writing you a new commandment, the commandment he's presumably referring to is right there in verse 6. You ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And yet I think John is also thinking of something even more specific than just generally walking as Christ walked. And you can see that from where John goes in the rest of this text. And you can see it from a few other places in in this letter as well. If you look at chapter 3, verse 11, you, you find very similar language. He says, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Again, chapter 3, verse 23 He says, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. So the the new commandment, which is also an old commandment that John is referring to, the commandment is that we would love one another just as Christ himself loved us. And so John says it's not a new commandment. And yet at the same time, there is a sense in which it is a new commandment. John isn't just trying to be confusing or contradictory here. He explains what he means in verse 8. He says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. That's his explanation for why this is new, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. In other words, it's true, this isn't anything new. It's not like God just invented the commandment that we should start loving one another. That's, that's nothing new. God had given that right from the very beginning of creation. And these believers would have heard it since the day they first believed. But even though this commandment is nothing new, it is new to these people. It's new in their lives because loving one another was not part of their life before they knew Christ. 
It's, it's new in the sense that you might say a, a used car is new to you. We, we use that expression all the time. It's not new, it's, it's new to me. And that's what John means here with this commandment. It's not a new commandment. It was there right from the beginning. But when you become a believer and you experience Christ's love, you discover what Christ has done for you, that love that you have for Christ and for one another is something totally new, something totally foreign to the unbelieving heart. In fact, the Lord Jesus himself in in John 13, verse 34, he described that same commandment as new in that sense. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And he gives the explanation, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And that's what makes this commandment new. You've received that love. It's very new to you. It's a brand new experience in a Christian's life. And that that then must be why John feels the need to remind the believers of this. If you've spent your entire life before without Christ, then the concept of genuine, sacrificial, heartfelt love and, and love for one another is something that's totally foreign to the unbelieving heart. And it may even take some time to get used to as a Christian. New Christians, as well as long-time Christians, deal with that reality of the old habits of selfishness and envy creeping back, back in. And as a Christian, of course, those things have no place anymore in your life. And that's why this commandment feels like something new, even though it isn't, in fact, anything new at all. And so he says it's new because now love, for the first time, has become a reality in you through Christ. Because the darkness, the darkness of your old way of life, the darkness of your heart apart from Christ, that darkness is passing away and something new is entering your heart. We've, we've seen darkness before in, in the letters of John when we looked at chapter 1, verse 6, darkness is that old way of life without the knowledge of God, where people's hearts are filled with sin and with selfishness and with hatred. Before Christ, that is all of the world. Without Christ, that would be each one of us. But now that Christ has come, this is what John means when he says the darkness is passing away, now that Christ has come, at least into our lives, that darkness is fading, and it ought to be fading and disappearing. The more we come to know God, the more we come to know what Christ has done for us, the depth of God's grace, the more we ought to be putting that darkness to death and letting the light of Christ shine into our hearts. And and one of the first ways that that manifests itself is in our love for one another. And so John says in verse 9, let's not deceive ourselves here then as Christians. Whoever says he's in the light, he says, God has shone his light into my heart. I know God's grace. Whoever says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is still in darkness. When we come to this table, we're coming to rejoice in Christ's love for us and our love for one another. And we get to come, and indeed Christ calls us to come to celebrate those things. But we cannot come while at the same time harboring hatred for 
someone else for whom Christ has died. It makes no sense. It's contradictory. In fact, it's a lie. In fact, not only should, should we not come to the table if we're harboring hatred, we cannot even call ourselves Christians, John says, if we harbor hatred for someone else who is a Christian. Again, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. So it's not just hypocrisy. It's not just inconsistency in the Christian life to hate another Christian. It's impossibility. It means you're still in darkness. And so John concludes, and whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If someone holds on to anger, preferring, even desiring to be angry rather than to be reconciled, that is hatred by any biblical definition. And that has no place in the life of a Christian. John says if that's there, it means you're still in darkness. And and so if, if that willful anger, if that that resentment that one cherishes and holds on to is there and if it persists it's an unmistakable sign that someone does not yet know Christ that they're still walking in darkness that they're they're stumbling as John says they're falling over themselves and they don't even know where they're going and ultimately that means they will perish in hell as long as they remain there that's very clearly what John is teaching On the other hand, he says, if someone genuinely understands and therefore reflects Christ's love for one another, then in him, he says, there is no cause for stumbling. In other words, that love that they have for Christ and for one another, that love will be like a shield and a protection around them. It keeps them from stumbling. It's a profound thought. Deep joyful, sacrificial love for Christ and for other Christians is a guard, a shield against Satan. It allows a person to see their own life more clearly. And it's not only a sign that they understand Christ's love for them and are living in the light, but it also keeps them from the darkness that still remains within them. It keeps them from stumbling because they then daily practice what they claim to believe, and then they grow in, in that love and in that faith. So, so there's a call for self-examination in a short text like this. Do we harbor hatred for others within the church? Do we hold resentment against others for whom Christ has died? If we do, it has no place in our lives, and we ought to deal with it before coming to this table. It's what the Lord Jesus himself taught. He said, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. And certainly the same is true for coming to the Lord's table. Now that can't, that can't ever be an excuse for abstaining from the table altogether, saying, I I hate my brother, and Christ says I have to love him before I come, so I'll I'll not come. That's never a legitimate approach to the Lord's table. As I said, this this is Christ's table. He is the host. So to say I will not come is to say I will not come to Christ. 
It's to refuse Christ himself. It's saying to Christ, if you receive this brother or sister into your fellowship, then I cannot come into your fellowship. But the the instinctive response for true Christians after receiving Christ's grace and understanding the depth of Christ's grace is to be filled with love, not just for Christ, but for anyone else for whom Christ has died. And then to have fellowship with them. And that's what we come to this table then to express. Our fellowship with Christ and our fellowship, our love for one another. So then, brothers and sisters, come, and come with a joy and a delight and a love that only Christians can understand, the deep love for each other that only Christians can have. Come and welcome to Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Let's respond by singing those words that